1: So thank you very
0: much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a licensed nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder.
1: And this is Phil Stevens, strength coach, powerlifter, highland games athlete. How are you doing?
2: Good. Uh, This is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, associate professor of the Kerrigan Institute. Of the Flex Diet cert and the Physiologic Flexibility cert, and I'll be teaching the Advanced Athlete Monitoring course again for Rocky Mountain University this fall. So I'm just updating the syllabus this weekend.
0: Sweet, there you go. Yeah. All right. It's a We've fun course. Serious news coming down here, Phil. Uh, what's the deal with the Olympics? Strength and Muscle Sport News.
1: So U.S. sprinter. Shakari Richardson was suspended for one month. So she just made the team a couple weeks ago. And uh, they're suspending her for one month for popping positive for THC. Um, and the, the bad thing is, is it sounds like her suspension, like she's running amazing times. I forgot what it was. 10.82 oh, like yeah. 10, in 100.
2: Yeah, uh, So crazy.
1: Yeah, super fast. <laughs> and so her suspension will take her out of running the hundred in the Tokyo games, she might still have a chance. Like it'll end before the four by 100 relay if they let her do that. So, I mean, it's not even a complete suspension. It's just like, yeah, uh, it's like here, you can't go break the record and win the Olympics, <laughs> but you can oh. do this team sport maybe. And you can get something. Right. It's just an old outdated. I mean, there's so many people coming out, so many athletes and so many celebrities and whatnot. are like, let the lady run, uh, it's, it's THC, for God's sakes. It's not like she's on DECA yeah. <laughs> you know, or yeah. or something that actually is performance enhancing, like we all know. I mean, and she lives in, what, Utah, I think it is, where it's legal, and that's what everybody's arguing. It's like, it's legal oh. in 19 states. I see. Uh, so, where she's at, you know, it, it was legal. And, I mean, like me and Mike were talking about before the show, like, I've been to, I was just in California. <laughs> I just me from too <laughs> walking around there i could have come back and tested positive oh yeah I mean, that's how prevalent it is now i mean <laughs> you walk downtown san francisco it's like whoa uh yeah i don't know and i mean it's just not anybody that's been in the game long enough knows that like if i'm gonna go hey guys i need to go squat 800 i'm not gonna go get high first it's it's not it's not gonna enhance my performance. Right. Especially for uh, speed and power. Level. I mean yeah exactly. I, mean, I don't yeah. see her going out using this. I don't know how she would use this to enhance her her hundred meter runs. I really don't. I could see maybe in recovery, things like that, maybe you rest more, but still, man, it's Right. You know with with her being able, like if she wanted to, she could go get quarter zone shots and everything else and it'd be fine. Yep. Arguably, that's going to enhance her performance a lot more. So,
2: and, wow! And by her own admission, when when she did it was several days before the Olympics. So obviously, THC has a very long half life. Um, some other, we'll say, PED and other drugs have a shorter half life, or crying mm-hmm. out loud, compared to THC. And you're just even if there was an effect from it for performance enhancement, maybe to take a little of the nerves off, whatever, but unlikely it's not going to be even relevant at that point yep. because of when she, you know, when she did it compared to when she actually even ran. Yeah.
1: I mean, she's, <sighs> she seems to be taking it well. Um, she
2: surprisingly well. And she was, I was surprised, extremely honest and said, Hey, here's, yeah. here's what happened. Here's what I did. I know what I did compared yep. to, how many other athletes have gotten popped and said, oh, it was the meat, it was this, it was exactly.
1: that. Yeah. Later she's they not, were
2: found to be in full knowledge of exactly
1: what they did. Yeah. She's yeah. not claiming her cow smoked weed before she Right. <laughs> but, yeah, she's just like, when my sanctions is up, I'll be back and ready to compete. I'm 21. This isn't my only games. It'll yeah. never happen again. And it's like, come on, guys. It's, let her run. For God's <laughs> sakes, we postponed the Olympics a year already. Uh. <laughs> True. So I don't know. I think it's just a, uh, like everybody's stating, it's just an outdated rule for an outdated substance that is now it's it's close to just being legal everywhere as it can be. And yeah, I mean, I just don't see how it's helping her, you know, no. or how it's giving her an edge on her opponents. And honestly, if they just open it up and say, hey, you can all smoke weed, you're not going to see times just jump. No, <laughs> you're not going to see records just go crazy. Because they can smoke weed now. So, because they're all probably doing it
0: anyways. But, you know, I remember taking a performance enhancing meds class, like an ethics class uh, in my doc program. And intent is one of the ways you determine essentially, Mm -hmm. you know, guilt. And, I mean, it's clearly not her intent to use this as a part of her training program. (laughs) You know, it was a (sighs) recreational thing. And my biggest beef with a lot of this stuff is the inconsistent laws from state to state. That's what Mm -hmm. causes this problem, right? The IOC doesn't think like, what do you say, Utah, the state of Utah? Yeah. Um, You know, Ohio doesn't think of things like uh, Nevada or California, and there's arguments to be made for individual states. Maybe you go where they let you smoke your weed or whatever, but at the same time we have to have more consistency. I think this is a fallout of a, of changing times and like Mm -hmm. you were saying, it's inevitable. So let it go. You know? Yeah.
1: I just hope they make a call on it fast enough to let it run. Mm Yeah.
0: So it's interesting. Yeah. All right. Um, Quick announcement before I do the regular news. Uh, next week, I'm actually going to put up something probably late Wednesday, so you're going to get an early episode, everybody. Next week, Dr. Nelson will be interviewing uh, a bodybuilder scientist on Ooh. that Saturday, but that's going to go up the following week. In other words, uh, don't say, "Oh, they skipped an episode." No, I, I'm going to get put up something early, early for next for next week, so we have something instead of Saturday's show. So look for the next episode, not today's. The next episode is going to go up a few days early. And that's because I'm going to be, of all things, on a train trip across country. Um, hey. And it's impossible the way our, our web server works now to upload from the, from the road. So so we don't miss that week. You'll just get something a few days early. So Okay, having said that, um this is going to be some fun commentary from you guys. This is from the Journal of Strength Conditioning Research July. I mean this is <laughs> as new as it gets. Is what you see what you get. Perceptions of personal trainer's competence, knowledge and preferred sex of personal trainer relative to their physique. So in other words, mm. are you are you impressed by a jacked personal trainer more <laughs> essentially? says, the role of a personal trainer's physique plays in how potential clients perceive that personal trainer. Um, It's an understudied but potentially powerful area of inquiry. They took 191 subjects. That's really quite a lot. Mm -hmm. They presented them with pictures of male and female volunteers that they labeled as personal trainers. The pictures emphasized physique and consisted of varying body types. So ectomorph, right, thin and angular. Mesomorph, more heavily built, thick neck muscular. And endomorph. They also kind of separately looked at just muscularity. Uh, The the subjects examined pictures, and then they answered surveys to rate the trainer's competence, knowledge, and preferred sex. What did they find? Well, both mesomorph and ectomorphic body types were rated as more competent than endomorph body types. So, again, not preferring the more rounded, higher body fat types. (laughs) It says muscular personal trainers were perceived to be significantly more knowledgeable and competent than their non-muscular peers. And then lastly, this is uh, interesting, not that surprising, but interesting. Female personal trainers were perceived as more competent and knowledgeable than men. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) Uh, What are your, your thoughts, Phil? We've talked about this before, like. A lot of people fall under the sort of that oh alpha male like dominance yeah. hierarchy. He's jacked. I'm going to listen, and then other people would say no. He's just on juice, and the, difference, <laughs> the and the truth that is probably juiced. in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what would be your your advice or it?
1: My, I mean, the thing is, is that if, at a certain point, even if you don't want it to be, it is true that, like. It helps that people walk in my facility and I'm fucking strong and big. It just does. And that's fact. And I can't change that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just how the, the, the general public also stupid. So, <laughs> so they, they just go. They are. I mean. so
0: Ignorant of it. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They come in. You, you're talking somebody coming into this field. Your average client comes in the fitness field with no real knowledge of it. Yeah. So what do they use as their first cue? Their eyes. Oh, he's Jack. He probably knows something. Um, is it true? No. I mean, I know plenty of people that are, hell, they can't even hardly walk now. And they're very knowledgeable and, you know, from their past athletics and things like that. Or people that just, like with football, I mean, they say the best coaches were the guys that never made the team. Yeah. Or they were all at the backup. It's because they had to struggle. Right. They struggled the most and they had to learn the game the most to make it where they did. Like they made college ball because they just studied it. You know, mm-hmm. And they were a student of the game so much. And that's how they – and they never made it to the NFL level. Or not, and then they ended up becoming coaches. Um, so – but, again, the sad fact is it does help. And it comes, comes down to my – like I was dealing with my tax lady at one point, And we were going to – like we were thinking about literally like writing off food and things like that. Because I – it's like I need to stay big as part of my job. Because it does help. You know, when yeah. people walk, walk in on Saturdays, it, it helps. Like my client's. Like seeing me come in and squat 700 pounds. And it does mean something to them from a coach's aspect. It just does. And uh, the good thing is I enjoy it too. So I'm not just doing it for the benefit right, benefiting (laughs) clients. But, I mean, it just does. I mean, um, other than that, it's just then from there when the real rubber hits the road, it's word of mouth and seeing what actually who you helped, which actually means something. Like if I'm going to look for a coach, I'm going to look down the line. Okay, who have they helped before? oh, there's 600 people they've helped, you know, right. compared to, you know, oh, he helped some girl in high school do this, and it's his first client, and blah, blah, blah. So.
0: And they're also okay. strong or jacked. You
1: know? Yes,
0: exactly. Yeah. So. Mike, what do you think about physique and perceived knowledge? Yeah, I mean, I think it does play a role. I mean, especially,
2: like, in the context of this study where that's, the only thing that they are looking at right they didn't give them credentials or anything else so yeah i think that kind of makes sense and i think to it'd be interesting too in the study maybe they kind of sort of hinted at it if the goal of what the person achieved matches that person's goal right Mm -hmm. so if the person's coming in and their main goal is you know, fat loss, do they kind of gravitate towards someone that's maybe a little bit leaner? Or if their main goal is to add muscle, do they gravitate towards someone that has more muscle? My guess would be probably yes. So, yeah, I think it does does matter. The hard part is that everyone wants to be like, oh, like the all or nothing, it's all black or white. That That's the only yes. thing that matters, which, <laughs> as we discussed, isn't true. Yeah. Because I'm sure we could all find... I mean, I can think right now of several examples of people that are, you know, in, I'd say, very good shape, have a lot of muscle, and I wouldn't want anyone to do their (laughs) training program. It's a disaster.
0: Right. You know? Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. And a couple of the people don't even really have to put in much work, and that's just kind of the way they are. So I think it's, you know, in the real world, you're looking at what Phil said, you know, how many people have you been successful with? You know, what what is their background? And I love the professional sports analogy, like all of the sort of people I would regard as sort of top coaches. I I can't think of one who was really an athletic superstar. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all people who had to, you know, learn a lot more and, you know, go more in depth. And, you know, as we all know, just because someone is good at whatever it is, whether it's lifting, sports, etc., You know, doesn't really mean they could teach it or explain it to somebody else either. So they're sometimes separate skills. You know, however, you want to still go to someone who's actively doing the things you want to do, or at least semi related to it. Um, Because I don't think you'd want to go to a trainer who never trains. That doesn't make sense either.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, that was part of my initial, I think, motivation is can I stack this expensive education that i've invested in against <laughs> against the some of the bozos I would compete with in open competitions who yeah they were big and bloated, but they they were just on drugs, you know I mean there mm-hmm. are the That's kinds nice. of people that are like that, but then I think there's nuances like to to phil's point the general public is ignorant a lot of these things. you can be huge and jack and use i don't know testosterone esters. And be incredibly knowledgeable, <laughs> you know, it doesn't oh, mean sure. that it's one or the other mm-hmm. as your cue. You yes. have to talk to the person and like you guys are saying, look at their client base, um, you know, and that kind of thing. So Yeah. I like they actually did a study on it though. That's really cool. It is, isn't it? Oh, um yeah. Phil, especially in your gym, I know it's like seventy percent women. What about the, the sex issue, the gender thing? Is it true? Do you think that lifters will um consider a female more competent and knowledgeable? What's your take on
1: that? Now, that's a tough one to swallow because, I mean, I know a lot of women in this field, and they've had to fight worse than men. Yeah. So I would say it's the opposite. Interesting. Uh, compared to that that study, surprises me. No, I mean, like, very knowledgeable women in this field have to work harder. I mean, look at the strength coaches at the college level. How many women are there? Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that goes right against their study.
0: So, mm-hmm. I
1: mean. Yeah, I mean, I'm not buying that that part. Well, now they did I mix
0: this with body a... type as well. So we are talking about Jack women uh, essentially, or really, you know, ripped women. Um, it, plus, I I look at it like uh, the limitation they're looking at probably pictures on a computer screen, and that's that might not be the same thing as fighting yeah. in the real world sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I'm mean,
0: curious. I'd... Curious. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's go. We, there's other like fun news here. This is for any of you guys interested in paleo. Um, the three of us know that the paleo diet. This is a legitimate thing. It's been in academic circles for decades. I mean, studying ancient diets. But then, of course, I don't even know how many years ago it was. Uh, two decades ago, and people just started branding and trying to own and re-market aspects of the paleo diet. Um, but it's an evolving field and it's not what a lot of people in the, you know, that are marketing it even think it is. Um, so this is from the journal nature, right? Absolute top tier just came out, uh, maybe four weeks ago or so if this is June from this year, how ancient people fell in love with bread, beer, and other carbs. Um, <laughs> now mm-hmm. what, first of all, it's fun. Secondly, Yeah, when you think about this, uh, Mike, I remember being in the Smithsonian Institute with you. We were in the – there's a whole wing dedicated to how butchering and eating meat led to larger brains and the development of society, right, Mm -hmm. because it's so nutrient-loaded. You have time instead of grazing on low-quality grass all day. You have time to teach your children and art and science develop and, you know, all these things. So uh, nobody's saying that meat wasn't part of the picture, but this says, well before people domesticated crops, they were grinding grains for hearty stews and other starchy dishes. This is from Andrew Curry. Um, they went to a site, uh, Gobekli Tepe in Turkey, Um This site is 11,600 years old. Uh, This mountaintop archaeological site has been described as the world's oldest temple. So ancient, in fact, that its T-shaped pillars and circular enclosures predate pottery in the Middle East. So from an archaeological, from a legitimate paleo perspective, this place is old. Is old. Uh, The people who built these monumental structures were living just before the major transition in human history, the Neolithic Revolution. And that's where people started farming, right, domesticating crops and whatnot, animals. Um, But there are no signs of domesticated grain at Gobekli Tepe, suggesting that its residents hadn't yet made the leap to actual farming, Um, The ample animal bones found in the ruins uh, basically provide evidence that people living there were accomplished hunters and there were signs of massive feasts. This kind of brings up like the almost ancient, you know, uh, Viking thoughts in my mind, right? Mm -hmm. There were huge barbecues. It actually says huge barbecues and beer where people would basically come together in these huge – Celebrations where the, the successful hunters would be like, Look what I bagged, you know, let's eat it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, you know, braise it with beer or something. But, but it says now that view is changing. Uh, again, they're not disputing that that happened, just they're, it's growing and changing. Uh, Diedrich, one of the researchers involved, has discovered that the people who built these ancient structures were fueled by vatfuls of porridge and stew made from grain that the ancient residents had grown and processed on an almost industrial scale. So again, I think about the modern fitness concept, right, lens for paleo, which is really low carb, maybe a handful of ancient grains, but you know, we're talking about a very ancient site, and yeah, they weren't just eating um, beer and meat. They were consuming grains. It says the researchers are using a wide range of techniques, this is really detailed, but from examining microscopic marks on ancient tools to analyzing DNA residue in pots. So they are really mm. drilling down, but it says Diedrich arg- argues that the barbecue and beer interpretation is way off. The sheer number of grain processing tools at Göbekli Tepe suggests that even before farming took hold, cereals were a daily staple, not just part of an occasional fermented treat. So, again, it to me this separates the idea, the long-standing study of paleo right nutrition. And then what these fitness people who have never had a class on anthropology, they don't Mm -hmm. really think about it. They just embrace their notion or some guru's notion of it. But, yeah, Mm -hmm. it looks like um, bread, beer, um, and meat were part of the scene a very long time ago. And that doesn't surprise me that much, really. No. Um,
1: I mean, if you look at surviving – any animal, including humans, if you're in a situation where you just have to survive, you're going to eat anything you can find. So, oh, anything yeah. that's around you, you're going to take that yeah. and you're going to, oh, yeah. you know, you're going to take advantage of it. <laughs> so, sure. I'm sure they had people hunting and picking and like everybody had their job. Like, go out and this guy's really good at collecting berries. You know, you're okay. the berry dude. Go get us a bushel. <laughs> and <very laughs> and then somebody else <laughs> out picking grains and somebody else is hunting deer and something, you know, you're going to look for any calorie you can get. You know, and that's how they were living. You know, if you dump me and you in Alaska right now and said live, I'm going to be eating anything I can find. You know, bugs and crickets and berries and whatever. It's just that's how
0: they had to live yeah so. even before broad scale agriculture right yeah like listen dude you got you got a bad ankle you you were hurt on a hunt earlier, you're just going to process the greens man you know we're, yep. somebody's going to bring the, green you the green. greens
1: Thanks. yeah <laughs> there's there was no space for uselessness, yeah you know you were doing something so <laughs> that
0: makes sense to me you're right, any survival situation, even with a like a self sufficient farm like you've got phil. Yeah, you're like you were talking about gathering up the walnuts and whatnot. Nothing goes yeah. to waste. You're gonna you're Nothing gonna consume. To what yeah. are you gonna say? No, I don't want to eat the the grains. Especially it, they get a whiff of baking bread or something. Even if it's not oh. yeast bread, or whatever. Yeah. Are you kidding? So yeah,
1: I'm not gonna turn it off, So,
0: Mike, what about um. the metabolic flexibility angle on this? Um, it looks like carbs and proteins were, and well, and fats of course from the meats, always part of the picture.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's been kind of my argument for metabolic flexibility since day one. It's a survival advantage, right? Your whole organism, your physiology is designed around survival, right? So I often joke that if you're out hunting woolly mammoth and you don't find a woolly mammoth for a few days, then you better be pretty good at fasting. Or if you come across a whole bunch of honey, you're probably not going to pass up the honey and go, ooh, I'm paleo man, I don't like honey. (laughs) You're going to take as much honey as you want until you get all of it or you get tired of being stung a hundred (laughs) times. Right. But you can't really run the risk of passing out and insulin-induced stupor under the honey hive because then you're going to be dead. So you have to be able to kind of process on both ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So I can't imagine, like you guys were saying, that if there's bread and grains available, that people are going to be like, oop, nope, not eating that. (laughs) Right. And then if you... Look at even cultures that maybe are are not as old, but wherever you go, it, they pretty much used everything they could possibly find. Mm-hmm. You know, from the Native Americans using every you know, part of the buffalo and even you know mm-hmm. hunter and gathering to the Catawans who ate mostly carbohydrates. You know, to the Eskimos who ate almost everything. You know, but yeah. they had dramatically different diets. But that was mostly because of the environment that they were in available, i can't really right. think of a example where they're like oh we had this like super food available and we just didn't eat it
1: yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no. i mean you look at ethnic cultures now i mean they yeah. will turn they will turn a butthole into a delicious meal you can't <laughs> exactly. you, you can't God. tell that they won't pick some grains too like they will <laughs> right. turn anything into something delicious they figure out a way to do it anything edible it's like okay we're gonna make something out of yeah. it Yep. Figure out how to make it palatable.
0: Bologna or so, sausage, something.
1: Yeah. Any, yeah. So, I mean, and it's geez. cross history. If it, anything, if it's edible, humans will find a way to eat it and make it not taste bad. Right. So,
0: And you know what, you guys? 11,600 years ago, I don't think anybody was value signaling with their food choices. You know? No. No. <laughs> they just ate it. It was available, like you guys are yep. saying. They just, like, hell yes, I'm going to eat that. You know? Yep. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I got one last little tidbit, and we're going to go to break. And I was remiss, everybody. We're going to talk about tales of confidence, like lifting and what it does for your self-confidence. But uh, just quickly here, this is from the Institute of Food Technologists, Food and Mood. This caught my eye because my wife's a counselor, right? And so there's occasionally little workshops and conferences will come along that we could both attend. And the Food and Mood connection is, is a big deal. So what they did was they just interviewed a lot of people on their food choices when they're having a good day a bad day things like that and there's some trends here that i are eye raising to me they're not that surprising it's just it's just fun to read uh here's some of them it says top go-to foods for having a bad day number one with 46 percent of respondents which is way above the others chocolate having a bad day Mm -hmm. they turn to chocolate Now, in my experience, and I I don't want to interject too much as I go through these data, but in my experience, I think women maybe can detect something more in chocolate than men. Like estrogen enhances the olfactory sense, and I think they maybe can detect some things because uh, at least in my experience and myself personally or the guys I've talked to, I don't think men get quite the sacred experience from chocolate that sometimes mm-hmm. I've heard women women talk about. But anyway, so this is not gender-specific here, but top go-to for bad day, chocolate. Uh, foods that result in happy, energized feeling, dark chocolate, 42%. So mm. this is a close close one, though, over fresh fruit, actually. So interesting. So happy and energized, chocolate wins again. Uh, foods that result in a poor tired feeling number one answer it looks like a 50 heavy carbs yeah i'm down with that i mean if you have a giant alfredo pasta meal uh and some garlic bread that's gonna weigh you down so mm-hmm. make you sleepy uh, kind of thing um that was way out in front of some of the other things um tastes favored when having a bad day so tastes not foods um sweet was number one uh, it 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 well, it m- moderately beat salty. So sweet number one when you're having a bad day, and that kind of goes with the food choice of a bad day, which is chocolate. Uh, top mood-improving foods. This one surprised me. Number one, barely, tacos. No. Tacos, really? Number one <laughs> mood-improving food was taco uh, right on its heels, bacon and eggs. No. A- and then that tied with steak. So... uh, Yeah, you see, I feel you. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm down with the bacon and the steak. mm -hmm. I don't know if I would go to tacos to improve my mood. I would definitely eat some bacon, though. That makes me smile and a big old steak.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's tacos are good and all, but I wouldn't think they got first. But yeah,
0: no, agreed. Agreed. Um, These are real tight numbers, though. Um, Right on its heels, pancakes um, and fried rice. Interesting. So, lower on the list, but only a little bit lower. Again, this is a tight race for top mood-improving foods, but they had mac and cheese and mashed potatoes, and that makes sense to me. Those are comfort foods. Mashed Uh,
1: potatoes is where it's at. Oh, man.
0: Okay. um, Three more categories. Top go-to foods when having a good day, number one, chocolate. (laughs) so you can Mm. see the theme here. Um, Bad day, good day, bring on the chocolate. I was laughing with my... Uh, wife about this, because some of my old friends in San Diego, they're like, Lonnie, you listen to Van Halen when you're feeling down, you listen to them when you're feeling up, I'm like, (laughs) yes, correct, so Van Halen is my chocolate, I guess, Um, if I eat unhealthy food, I'm likely to feel bad later, Uh, how many people agreed, 59% agreed with that, that sentiment, that if I eat something I perceive as unhealthy, I'm likely to feel bad later, so... Definite majority uh, feeling bad if they have something that they know is off-diet. And then lastly, when I eat a well-balanced diet, I feel more energized. 60, looks like 65% of people agree with that. Now, that goes back to Phil's comment about the gen pop not being particularly informed. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) <laughs> what well balanced I've always disliked yeah. that is is that like the very Sears zone diet like 40 30 30 mm-hmm. because that's balanced most of the diets yeah. I look at keto is not balanced you know yep. um what what yeah so whatever they mean by well balanced they feel more energized so
1: exactly and how much of this is purely yeah. mental oh, like right sure. when you start talking sure. about that it's like they perceive that they ate something bad so they feel bad mm-hmm. so it's like, right yeah that's do they actually feel bad? Probably not. So. <laughs> yeah, it's just a question. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's sort of Mike with your flexibility thing. It's like, yeah, you know, how many bad foods are on Mike's flexible bad list? It's like, listen, yeah. steak and pancakes could be on that list. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not demonizing any one thing. That's one of the things I like about the metabolic flexibility type thing is it's that variety approach, you know.
1: Yeah. All agree. right. Agreed. You have to be a grown-ass adult, though, to, like, recognize that, like, Skittles aren't bad. You know, they're not inherently bad. They're probably not a great choice all the time, but there's nothing bad about them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's just, and that's how people do, that's how all these fad diets are built. It's about bad food, good food. You can only eat good food. How about just recognizing that it's just Skittles, man? It's not a choice. I, I shouldn't make it a staple, but it's not bad. You know, people yeah. love naming something. I can't have that because it's bad. No, well, it's not really bad. Maybe mm-hmm. it will help me. Like, I'll go in and eat some Skittles a day because I got a freaking squat 500 for reps and then deadlift heavy after, and maybe it'll help me a little bit. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Is it for my health? No. But it has a place. Like Pop-Tarts. <laughs> yeah, you know? Tom Platts and his yeah, Pop-Tarts. on exactly. squat. I mean, day. nothing's bad, inherently bad for everybody. Except for, I mean, like I've said for years. I mean, maybe I would probably put trans fats in there, and I don't know, maybe one other thing. Like, eh, we could probably just do without them forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's no real benefit. Yeah. You know, because you can replace it easily with like olive oil or butter or something. Like, it's just better. But, uh, you know, I just hate it when Makes people sense. name something to where it's. Carbs are bad, always. No, no, they're really not.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's like we were saying about value signaling. You know, people love to do that now. In fact, in our archives at ironradio.org, Jaya Dixit did a nice piece about how people will use Instagram, they'll food blog. What are they doing? They're saying, hey, look how. "Quote unquote clean," I am. Look how mm. laudable I am. Give me praise for this diet. It's okay. quite different from like uh, I would occasionally, Mike. I know you would do this sort of food mm-hmm. blog, like oh look at this food from when we were in Tahoe or you know whatever it might be. It's just fun, like a almost documentary type thing. But a lot yeah, of people the memory do it. of it. Yeah, yeah. they look, look look how awesome I am. Look how clean, quote unquote. Man, that's a heavy loaded term. Clean yes. diet. Oh boy. So yeah, there's a lot of value signaling and subjective crap that people are putting out. Yeah. I've lost clients in the, in the past
2: more. So not so much anymore, just because people already know that they basically wanted me to write down the, the naughty versus nice list of foods. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Nope. (laughs) Yeah. Right. They're like, but that's, but I need to know what to eat and what not to eat. I'm like, but it's going to change and it's going to be specific to you and how your digestion is and what your goals are. And, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, I'm old. not just gonna yeah. give you a list of foods that are always off limits because if you have one of them, then you're gonna feel bad, and then it's gonna be this downward cycle, and they're gonna slash the other three tires on your car and be a mess for four <laughs> days in a row. And
0: right, <laughs> yeah. Imagine Phil, like uh, some string bean eel of a kid comes into you. He's six one, hundred and fifty five yeah. pounds. You're gonna say, put down the skittles? Absolutely not. No, You eat those exactly. Skittles and everything else, yeah. dude. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. It's right. Like, I'll smash a large pizza and drink a milkshake, and I won't feel bad about it. I won't yeah. do that every day. No,
0: if you're depleted. Because I'm not that dumb. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know? Absolutely. I know it's not me every day, but I won't feel bad about it the next day. You know? Yeah. The so, yeah. worst thing
2: you can old. do is eat something that you, quote, unquote, think is a bad food, and then you're so worried that it's a bad food that you don't even enjoy it while you're eating yes. it.
1: You're, like, uh, crying so while you're eating your
2: pizza? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <it's> so bad. <laughs> Stop <looking at> that. <laughs> so yeah, that's
0: no way to live. Oh, just, that's no way to yes. live. No. Nope. All right. Um, so. We overdid it, so we'll come back. We'll at least have a brief <laughs> conversation. Uh, I told you it was going to be fun stuff to discuss. Um, and we're going to talk about self-confidence and what lifting has done for us or some of the people that we know.
1: Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Doctor Mike T Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because I mean, look at me, Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text the uh, Keto Ebook all in one word to four four two 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 to receive your free copy. Do
0: it. Do it now. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast Okay, listeners, after more than a decade of joining us on the podcast Airwaves, you can now also become viewers on YouTube. This is not our usual simple backup of the audio show, but rather a growing body of video taste tests covering various foods of interest to nutrition enthusiasts, bodybuilders, and powerlifters. From within YouTube, simply search for Iron Radio Taste Test or Nutrition Radio Taste Test In about 15 minutes, we cover taste and texture, similar to other products, uh, usefulness to the co-hosts, and whether we would recommend the product to certain clients. You may even want to watch our podcast feed or Facebook group for which products are coming down the pike, so you can taste test them with us. Join us for this new monthly project. (laughs) right everyone we're back it's mike and phil and lonnie and we're going to talk about lifting and self-confidence at least for a little bit here um phil let's just let's start at the beginning maybe um when you started lifting was there a point where you felt more confident and if so why and the reason i want to start with you partly is because you can't see strength i mean you 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 see muscle mass but yeah. you can't see performance, let's put it that way. And yet, it, it, uh, there's a lot of very confident powerlifters out there. So what, yeah. if, what was your early stages, early career? Because you became a lifer. Something must have felt good.
1: Yeah. And I'm just trying to look back and when that confidence kicked in. I've seen it time and time again with other people. It's, I think it's hard to see in yourself. But like, especially like the women I have, you, the, the weight room bleeds into life. And you just see it. They gain confidence under the bar, and then you see them gain confidence in the rest of their life. And I think uh, along the line, somewhere, that happened with me too. Um, I can't pinpoint the day like yeah. when it happened yeah. um, or the time. But it definitely, I mean, the stuff you learn on the bar, the perseverance, the just seeing things through, um, getting that five more pounds, just that hard work. That bleeds into the rest of your life. I mean, it's a simple thing. It's just, it's literally just shut up and do the work over and over and over again, and things get better. You know, you make progress, and that just inherently leads to the rest of your life. And you realize, hey, it works here too. If I just keep chipping away and don't stop, Mm -hmm. uh, it it bleeds into everything else. And I've seen it just so many times in real life with people, Um, people that are very, you know, they're not self confident. And then they, they gain some confidence under the bar and that slowly bleeds into the rest of their, their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So I can't tell you when it happened to me. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's lost such a, in,
0: in the mists of history at this point.
1: Yeah. And it's such a slow process. I think it just kind of slowly happens. You know, you gain confidence under the bar and then it slowly bleeds into your life. So there's not like a day that I woke up. Oh, right. I have no confidence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. So, uh, and in, in competition then, I mean, I think everybody's like, I was nervous. My first one, super nervous. I don't think as nervous as some people get, like, I never worried about, Hey, I'm stepping, like you hear a lot of people worried about, I'm going to get up there in a singlet. I didn't care you know? <laughs> you know? because I knew everyone was wearing one. It's like, okay, I'm not the only one that looks like a dumbass. Everybody left, <laughs> you know, and they're not flattering pieces of equipment. Um, but there are a lot of people that are afraid of those and, uh, but now, I mean, that's what people tell me, like, you're at home at a meet, and literally, I feel my best. I love being on the platform. I would rather lift there than anywhere else. I know I can't do that every weekend, but it's like, I'm not nervous at all. It's like, okay, it's showtime, and I love it. I love being up there in front of people. I love seeing what I can do. I don't care if I miss. I want to make every lift, and I think I'm going to, but if I miss, it's like, oh, well, you <laughs> oh, I don't get hurt over it and things like that. Uh, you know, my feelers don't get hurt if I miss a lift. It's like, oh, I screwed up. It's my fault. Um, you know, anytime I miss sense. a lift, it's nobody's fault but mine, Yeah. even if it's a technical well,
0: error. you so. know, Phil, in a way, like um, I joke about the old oak tree or like a, chi- a a failed lift would be like a chip out of your iceberg, but you have an iceberg of success at this point. Yeah, you know? like
1: I've only missed a handful of lifts that a meet. I mean, it's just... Yeah, it's not going to shatter that it. Well.
0: So, mm-hmm.
1: uh, and it's just come to that realization that, you know... And I think you learn that in the weight room. Uh, Like anything, if I mess up, it's nobody's fault but mine. Because it is a solitary sport. You know, it's you against gravity. Uh, It'll always win. (laughs) You know, (laughs) if I choose right, I'll win. If I choose wrong, I lost. My fault. You know, I put too much on the bar for that day. Um, It's not the judge's fault. It's not the equipment's fault. Whatever. I mean, it just happens. You know. So.
0: No, I and agree. you learn,
1: I think you just learn to take things on your shoulders. Like it's nobody in the weight room. It's like, it's just you against them or against it, you know, and yeah. let's see how it goes.
0: And, you know, so, the maturing lesson for me, uh, because bodybuilding is so comparative, but the maturing lesson for me is a lot like I've heard powerlifters talk about. In fact, I think it's you and a bunch of the power lifters listening to you guys is you're against your past performance. You're against yourself. Yeah. 'Cause if yep. I'm on stage and some guy walks up and he's just jacked to the gills on growth hormone and IGF one and all that, I'm like, damn, you look great, man. I you're making choices mm-hmm. I couldn't make, <laughs> you know. Yep. But but I'm I'm five pounds bigger than I was last time I competed, you yep. know. And or I you know, my my quads are more striated or whatever. It's me versus me. And I do love yep. that personal responsibility. But you know the other thing that I love about lifting and confidence is it's sort of automatic. Like all you have to do is start eating more and grab a heavy barbell and do it every week. And you will start to almost automatically change. I'm not talking about the nuanced programming and stuff that's required for intermediates and beyond. You know, the beginner, man, it just works. And then you start becoming bigger and stronger than everybody around you. Everything you do during the day is easier. And how could that not be empowering, you know? Um, To me, confidence can only come from experience and... Uh, successes, like a series of successes. And then eventually it becomes sort of unshakable. You know, like you said, you missed a lift Mm. or, you know, it it bleeds over to school. Oh, I didn't do well on that test. That strategy didn't work. What's a new strategy? You know, and you, but you're not, you don't crumble because of it. Yes. Uh, Anyway. Well, I think we're lucky in, in,
1: in strength. It's one of the few things where like, at the beginning, we're lucky that at the beginning, you automatically just get better. Like, I got a girl that's, that's new, and she's like 13 years old, and she's hitting PRs like every day.
0: Exactly.
1: Because she's brand new. Yep. That really hooks you. It does. It helps hook you. So there's not many other things that you do that, where it's like, oh, shit, I'm better than yesterday. So you get this instant feedback at the beginning for the first year or six months of this, where you're just always better, 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 better. And that helps you. Get you in a mindset to where it doesn't matter so much once you reach that harder point. Where it's like, okay, if I keep going, I'll just get better. Because you get all these wins at the beginning. And it just makes you feel confident. It does. And then you know, sometimes it's hard to handle those people when their first time where that starts slowing down, it's a little hard to handle, but then it's just making them realize, okay, look how far you've come. Now it's gonna be a little harder. But uh Nuanced. But they've stacked all these wins up already, that their confidence is already up. Okay, yep, I just gotta keep working. You know, because it worked before I worked and I got this much better. Now I just need to put more work in. So,
0: Phil, you know, that's uh, a good point about strength as well, because even more than size, because size is is more slow and protracted, I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to put on 20 pounds could take you months and months, even as a noob. Um, yep. But strength, you're you're probably going to get a good 20 percent stronger in your first couple month training cycle. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. It's so empowering. Exactly. Absolutely. It is,
1: and it med- mentally just helps. Like, oh, I just did more. I couldn't do that last week. you know, And that's, right. that's the neat thing is, like, at the yeah. early stages, that happens. It proves it to you,
0: right? You it know? proves yeah. it to you. that you all, all you have to do is be a, a little consistent, and then yes. you, you get awesome.
1: Um, yeah, you plant, and the harvest is very quick at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like your, your beans take a week to grow. <laughs> that's right. Well, yep. But,
0: Mike, what about you as far as um, – why are you into strength? Period, and or you know the people that you work with. What's the role with the the lifting and the progressive nature of it and the self confidence?
2: Yeah, I mean, similar to what you guys were saying. For me, it's just it's one of those things. I realized that it's just me against me, right? And that probably took me longer to realize that than it should have. <laughs> I think everybody starts out, it's always much more of a comparison, especially when you're lifting in gyms and lifting with other people and stuff. But, you know, luckily for after a while, I finally figured out basically I had to almost completely destroy myself in the process to realize this, that it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. What works for them may not work for you. So it's just you against you. Like you may have to do something that's a little bit different, but there's so many infinite amount of possibilities and options that there's no way you'll ever exhaust everyone right so if you do x program and it doesn't work well or you do this lift and it doesn't go well then there's probably something else you can do to get you to that point you're never going to run out of potential options of things to try so for me i realized it's just kind of a big game of if you go in and do it, and you do it more in an intelligent fashion, and you put in the work, then you will see the benefit. And you can literally measure the benefit week to week. Measure, right? yeah. Right, yeah. And you, you may not, like you guys are saying, see it. No one else may know. Uh, no one else may ever know. But just the fact of, hey, oh, I was doing this last week, or I did this, you know, for example, I was doing a Denny lift, and... For like three weeks in a row, eh, I get a single at like 500. Yeah, another single, maybe barely get it off the ground. And then yesterday I went to the gym and I got it for 500 reps pretty easy. I got 500 for five reps pretty easy. So within a period of literally one week to the next week, I added, you know, four or five reps. And granted, that's a long ways off for where I want to eventually be. But there isn't very many things in life where you can see those differences week to week. And it doesn't always work that way, right? It gets confusing because sometimes you go backwards before you go forwards. Or with that lift in particular, I had to take two years off just to widen my stance out to get the mechanics better. So eventually I will be able to lift more than what I did before. But in reality, that's a three-year detour, (laughs) you know, because you have to build up all the specific strength again. Um, But yeah, so for me, it was just this challenge of, the better I get, the more I can see it going on. And then it's also, you know, testing your discipline, testing, you know, your will. And over time, I think you grow to enjoy the process and the journey as, as much or even more so than, than the
0: results. That's, that's wise. You know, that's true. I think everybody becomes a lifer because of that, right? I, I, lift, yeah. I lift four times a week now. I, I'm not out to take up more space anymore um my goals changed a little and yet i love it to the point it's it's classic behavior mod you know you can remove the reward um yep. if, if if the result is the reward And the the behavior remains, right? Because like you said, you're enjoying the process and the nuances. Uh, uh, To echo what you were saying about the documentable, it's not like a kindly mom saying, oh, you did so well, honey. This is objective, (laughs) hard, measurable stuff. Like you don't, it has face validity. It's proof in your face that you can bench two and a quarter and you barely could bench 185 a couple of months ago. Just there it is. It's objective. It's not, it's irrefutable, you know, and that's, that's just so empowering.
2: Even when it's not going well, because everyone's (laughs) had cycles and times where, you know, trying to just somewhat maintain where you were is, is hard. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, it's nice, like you said, to have that objective um, data. And then I also, the other part I realized in terms of enjoying the process was once I realized that, you know, once I achieve the goals I I want to, no one's probably really going to care that much, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they will. They're like, oh, that's nice, you know, but some of those goals may have taken me 15 years, you know, maybe 20 years to get to. But um, I also know that it'll be fun, but also kind of anticlimactic, right? Like what Phil said about just different lifts. Like I've gone through it so many times in my head that it's almost a, foregone conclusion that within enough time I'll be able to do it so once I finally Mm -hmm. do it I'm super stoked but it's like eh okay what can I do next right Or I get nervous a little bit about new clients who have built something up so so high and think like oh once I deadlift you know four plates the world's gonna change And
0: eh, it's cool
2: Mm -hmm. nice job but you know (laughs) the world's still the same
0: (laughs) (laughs) alright well we're about out of time but um that was good. Um, yeah. it, it's fun to talk about that kind of stuff. It's a huge reason why a lot of people lift, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's an almost automatic, with any kind of consistency, almost automatic way to start building self-confidence. Yeah, it is. Um, all right. Cool stuff, guys. Yeah. I guys. Sounds good. See you next week. Yeah. Iron Radio is accepting donations.